When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those of you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Amen. Good morning. So as Darlene said, uh, it is a struggle um, to look at these two different these two ideas of Remembrance Day and then um, the teaching of Jesus on Sermon on the Mount. So I made my way to a title of How Will We Be Remembered? I have a complicated relationship with Remembrance Day. It's a beautiful thing to see the widespread appreciation and reverence for soldiers from another generation who served in a world war. My grandfather served in the First World War, although he didn't pick up a gun, come to think of it. San, he played the clarinet, I think. He, uh, he served in France, but he was a musician. So he was used to lead a band to uh, encourage the hearts of the soldiers, I guess. When the Second World War came along, then the First World War was gonna end all the wars, right? Except it didn't. So then the Second World War, my, my father was eligible for the draft. And when it came time um, for him to, um, when it came time for him to go before the draft, um, he, he ended up serving, but he served as a conscientious objector. Now this is in the US, so I don't know if that's a familiar term. But what it means is that as a pacifist, he was happy to serve his country, but he did not think the way to do it for him, what was not right was picking up a gun. So, um, the lives we live um, that we, and the freedom that we enjoy that come from um, the, the war one is a very real thing. And certainly, I think about the soldiers even in terms of, um, you know, they're soldiers from another time. It's, it's like probably some of your ancestors, my ancestors too. But there's that idea of war, like um, that you, 
It's like, it's like the, uh, the Shema prayer where we are, the first commandment is we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. And then it goes on from there. But if you stop there, that's the part from the Old Testament. And so when it comes to, um, to these soldiers, you can imagine um, how, like, for them serving, when you watch the old war movies, because I've watched those before, and they're, it's very exciting to see someone care so much and to see these people banding together, to see what was happening there. But what was hard for me was that considering my, my father was not sort of one of those. He didn't belong. He didn't belong to those who were venerated. From early years, I always understood that, um, that dad wasn't considered a soldier because he didn't carry a gun. And years later, I wanted to understand it better. I've tried over the years to understand it better. So what we have today is we're looking at what you heard, Sermon on the Mount. It's the, it's the, um, the Beatitudes. But the second thing we're going to listen, that we're going to think about and sort of conflate is the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. So we basically have guideline for life, part from the Old Testament and part from the New Testament. Let's just bow our heads. Gracious God and loving Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my Lord, my Redeemer, in Jesus' name. Psalm 119, 165. Psalm 119 is like that longest one, probably right in the middle of the Bible. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I love that translation, your instructions. So when, just right off the bat, you think about the Ten Commandments, and when you think of a commandment, a commandment is like a, you better, you gotta, you. When you think about how we can, especially nowadays when I watch my daughter with her kids, you know, there's no more commandment. It's kind of a very soft ask, I would say. How's about we, you know. But so commandment, it is, it is nonetheless, it's a word from God, and it's a kind of a law. And actually it's the love of the law, which is what gives us a good life, which is what lets us walk along and follow Christ. Uh, with the Beatitudes, it's a little, it's like Jesus kind of digested the Ten Commandments, and what comes out then is the Beatitudes, where it's more softly spoken. But again, I think it's hard for us this many centuries later always to really, um, to really take it in. So we'll start with, oh, I found, this is back from the days when um, I was working more with kids. I found a more kid-friendly version of the Ten Commandments. I thought that a lot of the things that show up in the Ten Commandments aren't necessarily relevant to children. They learn them nonetheless, and it's a very good thing that they learn them, but it's not like it necessarily exactly applies to them all the time, or they... They can't see a to-do coming out of it for themselves. 
So the Ten Commandments, um, which, by the way, um, commandment, you could also think about a rule, because a rule, for those of us that are older, to know what a ruler is, a ruler is just a straight edge that lets you, with your pencil, draw a straight line. It's, it's a type of a guide. It's not necessarily, again, a rule that you broke. Because don't we love to break rules sometimes, right? So this is what's been given to Moses uh, to guide the people as he's wandering uh, in the desert with them for 40 years. This is how it goes. Number one, love God more than anything else. Like, does it get better than that? Love God more than anything else. Number two, don't make anything in your life more important than God, which is kind of saying the same thing, but it's driving the point home a little bit. Number three, always say God's name with love and respect. Number four, honor the Lord by resting on the seventh day of the week. So those first four are our our relationship with God. From there on down, it's our relationship really with each other. Love and respect your mom and dad, and maybe I'll put in there grandma and grandpa too. I don't know if that's fair. Number six, never hurt anybody. Number seven, always be faithful to your husband or wife. Number eight, don't take anything that isn't yours. Like, put like that, I mean, anyway. Not that I haven't taken things that weren't mine, but I, I didn't do it on purpose. I am going to say that part. Be happy with, number 10, be happy with what you have. Don't wish for other people's things. That's the sticking point, I think, for a lot of us. It can be. Don't be, don't wish you had someone else's stuff. Because the point is, like, when it's a slippery slope, and once you start taking too much of an interest in what somebody else has, instead of, Instead of enjoying what it is that you have, it's very easy to sort of slide off into like jealousy and all kinds of things that'll have maybe like a sharp edge on them. It won't be obvious to everyone else, but where it's obvious, and this is the important part, is to you. It's going to hurt you. It's kind of like a grudge that you carry where you don't ever act out on the grudge, but in your heart, you know you're still feeling it. And that's what we don't want to have that here. I mean, we don't want to have that anywhere. We really don't want to have that here. I loved when, uh, say the Lord's name, always say God's name with love and respect. That's one of the things when I was in seminary that really, um, that really got my attention. I love that um, in Judaism, you know, in the Old Testament, the people did not pronounce God's name. It was too holy for their lips. So they would, they would spell it G hyphen D instead of actually writing all the letters out. I think about the ways in which uh, names are so, that our, each other's names are so important. When someone gets your name right compared to when someone never quite remembers your name. There's a woman um, that many of you will remember, Avis Nelson. She is the only one that I can listen to this. I get a lot of nicknames. I don't know, Bonnie seems hard, but, but, um, but Avis 
always calls me Barney. She's, she's been saying that since we met my earliest years here. And, you know, somehow, especially when I was younger, like now it's kind of whatever, but, you know, I didn't want to be associated with a big purple thing, you know, and yet there I was. But for Avis, that's just what she called me. And it's like in the deaf community where you get named by the community. You can't tell them what your name is. I couldn't, like if I wanted to have a cool name, I couldn't just, I couldn't just pull that off where, where it's, <laughs> this is for you, Gavin, where some Sunday I come in, I've got a wig on, and I look like quite a bit different, and I say, yeah, my name's, you know, the one I always wanted when I was young was Paige. Yeah, my name's Paige. You guys are, you know, you might, you might do it for a little bit, but pretty soon, like, you're going to revert to what my name really is. So getting, not, getting God's name... Uh, using God's name well, I think, is that kind of spills over for us as well, to use, to use each other's names well, because names are important. Names mean that I know who you are, not, oh, you know, hello, like meeting for the first time kind of thing. Something important to remember with the commandments, um, Though there are 10 of them, and God is very specific with numbering things, I would say, because um, it's for our sake. We have 10 fingers, so 10 commandments. It's something you can easily learn, and there's a way to learn and to remember these things. But each one of these commandments uh, must be fully digested, because in truth, they represent a category of things. So don't be looking for loopholes um, because you're, you're just going to get in trouble. A loophole, for example, when it comes to truth. I remember when I was um, working with kids across the street and there was a way in which um, the kids would be, I will call it slippery with how they would talk to me. So I might ask a question and I'd get an answer, which technically there was not a lie in it, but more like I got good at listening for what didn't get included, because what that meant was they don't want to get caught lying, because they maybe there was respect. I mean, I, I hope so. But that if they just didn't say more, then I would think that's all there was to the story. And as I've learned personally recently, there's always more to the story. So telling lies can make us happy for a minute sometimes because it, maybe it gets us out of trouble or we think it, we can sidestep something. But ultimately, it's always going to hurt us. Ultimately, it's, it's going to hold us back. Jealousy, it's okay to have good things and want good things, but sometimes that leads to paying more attention to what someone else has than what we have ourselves. It also applies to admiring when someone else, what someone else has achieved and wishing it for ourselves, wishing we could be more special, wishing we could muster the discipline to work and, and, you know, and all of these things would come true for us. We can reach, though, a beautiful goal of being joyful for the good fortune and accomplishments of each other and experience the love that Paul describes, the famous chunk from his letter to the church in Corinth, the 13th chapter, I believe it's 13, the love chapter, right? So that's the one, 
you know, if we, if we could accomplish that kind of love, like what a goal that would be. Forget a lot of other things. That's really, um, that's really at the heart of it. Let's switch to the Beatitudes now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means humility. Humility. Pride, which is the opposite of humility, often brings anger, can cause us to seek revenge, especially when we've been offended. Sort of I was alluding to that before. If every person, if every person were humble and poor in spirit, there'd be a lot less chance, I think, for war, do you not think? If we were actually putting everybody else high instead of taking sides and that kind of thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Love, compassion, and forgiveness towards one neighbor will bring peace in your relationships. Jesus taught the disciples to forgive as uh, we have been forgiven. In the prayer that we pray together, the Lord's Prayer, we forgive as we have been forgiven. And I think I'm not alone that, um, that we sometimes keep sharper records of those in need of our forgiveness than we do of those whose forgiveness we need. I could be wrong. That's, that's me. I'm not going to put that on anybody else. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. To be pure of heart means to be free of all selfish intentions and self-seeking desires. What a beautiful goal. How many times has any of us performed uh, an act that is completely free of personal gain? Lots of people in here are old enough to probably to remember a movie that came out in the year 2000, I think, Pay It Forward. Everybody remember that? And, and the concept. And uh, Darlene, I know, shared it with me one time. They're fans of Tim Hortons, and I guess the drive-through is where it works best, right? They always do a pay-it-forward thing. That is just so cool, because what it means is the person who got paid for has no idea. So you're not doing it to look good or to be thanked or any of that stuff. You're just doing it, and the person is going, this is my lucky day. Like somebody, somebody just bought me something. It's very cool. Blessed are the peacemakers, and this is the one that, um, that really has my heart, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemakers not only live peaceful lives, but also try to bring peace and friendship to others. They work to preserve peace between God and men, by God and people, by imitating and mimicking God's love for each one of us. And in this way, the peacemakers become the children of God. Blessed are, are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm stopping there because it kind of tanks at that point. I like to stay on the happier ones, and I can't cover them all anyway. So now... I, um, 
I, I told you about the upbringing that I had where my dad was a pacifist, and so therefore um, I never knew quite what to do. I always loved how reverential people were with uh, when the taps would play and there'd be that minute of silence. I, I also note and think how, how everybody participates in that. Yet, when it comes to, uh, to church and the pause in the week and stuff like that, everybody got like, pretty relaxed. And yet, once a year, for one minute, people on all sides of the board stand out of respect. I think that is just beautiful. But, okay, so my upbringing. So if my dad didn't, um, my dad was not perfect. You know, uh, for those of you that met him and know firsthand he wasn't perfect. He certainly wasn't perfect. But there was one thing that my dad did, which for those of you that ever met him, you would probably remember this. He, he talked to everyone. Now, from my dad, even though that was his habit, you might also wonder that it was genetic because I sometimes am accused of talking to a lot of people. My sister San, where are you San? Wave your hand. My sister San, who walks to the grocery store, I think every day, she knows all of the birth dates of the cashiers at No Frills. She knows their names, she knows their, she knows like if they're having something that they need prayer for. That was my dad. He, he called it building bridges. That's always what he said about it, building bridges. I got to tell you, as a teen, it was not fun. If you can remember going from junior high or whatever it was, you know, to high school, that can be kind of an important, like, uh, a difficult time as a teenager. For some people, high school was just like a breeze, and maybe some people were popular all the time. I was not that kid. We moved to uh, Toronto, Toronto as we called it, back in 1967. Two years later, we moved to Unionville. So I went, uh, I'm starting now high school, in Markham, which is already like a, a town away from where I lived. Back in those days too, and I don't know if things have changed a lot, uh, but back in those days, and certainly in that period of time, it wasn't cool to be smart. It was cool to struggle with school. I don't know. Uh, especially, I guess it was like the the people that, were, that played sports, they maybe didn't do as well academically. And if I'm anything, as a PK, it's a fitter inner. So if like, I could like, oh yeah, like complain about school with the best of them, even though I was always, I would hide it, but I was always pretty close to the top of my class. I just tried to never bring it up and never talk about it. Now, I'm starting the first year in high school. I don't know a soul. So at least it's a year when people are coming from different schools. So there are other kids that are new there, but they at least know somebody. I knew nobody, and I had, at that point, a very thick American accent. 
So um, what a day. So uh, within the first couple of months of school, what the student council had organized was a dance after school. And it was going to be right after school and, uh, you know, wasn't going to last very long, but kind of a get to know you sort of thing. So, so I go to the dance because I made a friend on my first day. She was sitting behind me. She was totally enthralled by my American accent and said to herself, that's going to be my friend. And to this day, we're still very close. So I went to Donna's house after the dance and it was fun and I survived it and all that. But then the next thing... I know, and I didn't find out, I found out in a kind of an awkward way. When I got to school the next day, because I went to Donna's house and then I went home, I learned when I got home that Dad had tried to pick me up after the dance, which he never does. I think he was trying to be kind and maybe talk to some people, but whatever. Get to the, get to, uh, get home, and yeah, you know, Dad was trying to drive me, but the next day when I get to school, now, my first name is Bonnie, and my middle name is Heather. I got named by a parishioner in one of my dad's churches, because it was a name that, anyway, that's another story. But So my name is Bonnie Heather, but usually I go by Bonnie. Well, my parents liked, especially my dad, liked to call me the little feather. Feather. So when I get to school the next day, grade 9, grade 9, I, when I arrive, oh, is the little feather here? All the cool and popular kids at school are saying. That was like a lot to live down, you know? I remember saying to Dad one time, because he had such a good heart, but like, Dad, do you have to talk to everyone? And he was like, yep. It was really bad. My mom, she had her own version, kind of, in terms of uh, in shaping us, and then her her way of following the guidelines, in a way, um, from the Bible. She loved to uh, she loved to have organized parties. She loved games. She was funny. She only liked baseball. She loved baseball. In fact, she would get right down on her knees in front of the TV set and try and help the coach like through the screen when the coach was, you know, not quite getting what needed to happen next. My mom didn't play sports, but she loved that. My mom loved cards, and she was, uh, she was wicked with the cards. Like, she was, she was never one of those parents who, you know, when she was teaching me a game, would go, ha, 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 and, you know, sort of let me win or let me, you know, never. She needed to win. That was my mom for sure. But I remember a birthday party she had for me when I was uh, eight or nine, I think. And um, we're, in my family, we're all fairly artistic, like art, like, well, dance, um, music, that, you know, photography, all that stuff. Anyway, so my, so my mom's having this birthday party for me, and she's got some games planned, and she gets some prizes and stuff, so I'm very excited. Because I didn't get to have them every year. Because my brother and I are so close that often we had to share them. And if you want to share your birthday with your brother who's five years older than you, not really. So this was like my own party. So my mom, the first, one of the contests that she has is um, a drawing contest. So there's like a nice art piece of paper in front of everybody with like a marker, with like a pencil, with... 
and, and there were instructions. I don't remember anymore what the instructions were, but we all had a certain amount of time to draw, and there was going to be a prize at the end of it. So the time's up, and we've all worked our hardest, and, uh, and my mom starts this thing. She's going around, and she's stopping kind of meaningfully by each person, going like, hmm. She made her way around the table once. She made her way around the table again, going, oh, you know, these are all just so good. I really can't decide. And now a little part of me was like, Mom, <laughs> put your glasses on. Like, are you blind? Can you not see? Obviously, mine is the best. Now, I didn't necessarily need to win, but my mom being like so um, enthralled by all the, and it was a variance. Everybody had done what they could do, but here's mom like going overboard, encouraging people. And then, you know, those things that you don't know about your parents until they're gone, and then it sort of comes to you in another way. And when I was having um, parties for my daughters, I recognized what my mom was doing. She was just like way ahead of the wave on loot bags. Because anybody who left the party was going, like, everybody got a prize. That's how she worked. Everybody got a prize. And, and at the time, um, it was a little bit shocking to me, but sort of over the years coming to recognize that that's just, like, that's, to her, the, the most important thing is that people be involved, that people be kind of in conversation, that sort of thing. Mom's conversations and, and the way that she did, another thing that my mom was famous for and evidenced by my sister who keeps track of people's birthdays, my mom had, every year she would buy a new calendar, month at a glance, and she would copy in everyone's, everyone that she knew and loved from all over North America, like family, friends, from, from her life, what their birthdays were, the anniversaries, not just like wedding anniversary, but also um, anniversary of someone's passing. So my mom would be always sending out letters and cards, like helping people to know that she had never forgotten about, about them and about what they had been through. And that was really mom, like her way of building bridges. So this Remembrance Day service this week, <laughs> I was picking up my grandsons from the school, and there's a, there's a young guy um, sitting in the little chairs that are set up in front of the, uh, where the principal's office and the admin and stuff sit behind, like this glass vestibule thing. So there's a guy sitting there, and he is um, pulling things out of a backpack one at a time like socks, and he's pulling, it's, it's like obviously a kid's backpack. He's going through, picking things out. With each thing he picks out, he makes eye contact with me, each thing. Now, I smile, because I'm Harold Nolte's daughter, like I do, I must smile, I can't help it. He keeps on, and he keeps looking at me and smiling as if there's like a punchline or something to this, so I'm saying, oh, like, and finally, he says to me, you don't remember me, do you? And, uh, 
And I said, uh, <laughs> give me a hint. <laughs> and he says, front lines. He said, uh, I used to hang around with Leonard. His name was Trevor. And I, once he said that, you know, it all comes back. But, but here, like this many years later, not in Weston, but in Rexdale, like he's in a completely different place. The fact that I, I gave him a hug, the fact that he wanted to be remembered, like he wanted us to remember each other, like that's just a really big deal uh, to me. It was a really big deal. I know that uh, I've talked to John Frogley Ross and I know other, others of you who teach and are in positions like that where you know um, you have um, students that go through or people that pass through your lives that you knew them kind of for a season. So it's not uncommon for us to have that. Um, but it's important, and I think we need to take notice when we have that. So then uh, on Friday, I picked, and I'm, and I'm struggling this whole week because I'm going like, what can I do? Full confession. I did think at one point of going, you know, if I tested positive for COVID, somebody else would just have to like pop up with something or plug in from a previous week or something, you know? I picked Pierce up from school because his daycare, there was whatever it was, anyway, I had to pick him up. So I pick him up and he's sitting in the back seat. We have some of our best conversations with him in the back because there's a way we're both facing forward and there's a certain quality to the conversations that we can have. So he was asking me uh, about, he was telling me about the Remembrance Day, the, um, the celebration, the service, and and what he had learned about it from school. And then he's starting to sort of ask questions like, uh, did anybody in my family, did, did anybody in our family, I know where he's going, but I'm waiting for him to finish it. Did anybody in my family, in, in our family, join the army? And I know that really what his question was, because he's a very sensitive kid, I'm sure he was very touched by the stories that he heard, by the ambiance of something where there's such honor being given to someone else with no sarcasm, no joke line, no YouTube cutaway, like just a real life thing of people just being in a, in a moment of silence and remembering something so important. So I knew that his question really was, Is there a, was there a hero in my family? He didn't say that, but I knew where he was going. And so I started to tell him about dad, because he never met my father, but he's heard stories. And I said, when dad served in the war, um, he didn't want to pick up a gun. So what he did instead was he worked in a, a mental asylum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So he worked in a, in a, mental, in a mental hospital. And Pierce kind of finishes the sentence for me, he said. So he... <laughs> So he healed people, and it's, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. We all need, we all need to know that whether or not we are aware of it, we are the continuation of God's story. It doesn't end with revelation. 
and the longer we go, you know, all through our lives. Sometimes we think about it, sometimes we don't think about it. But what, at 68, what I'm going to tell you, for those of you, you know, eh, not there yet, people are always watching. People are paying attention. And so it's really important that, that we make the choices that we do, that we keep on choosing to love, that we keep on choosing peace, because someone is watching. And you never know, we might be a, a hero. There's one, um, just one last story that I, makes me, I'd f forgotten about this one, but uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter of Matthew contains the one verse of scripture that ever, the Lord ever put on my heart. All my life, I've been so envious of people that said, the Lord told me, or the Lord put this on my heart. I, I'm always trying to talk, but I don't ever hear like a verse given to me, and I was always kind of jealous of that, to be honest. I know it's not a healthy jealousy, but whatever. One time, the, um, the kids from Frontlines, um, we were going downtown. We used to go on trips, uh, and I might have told you this before, it's a very important story to me. We would go on trips, we didn't have a lot of money, so often what we had was bus tokens, bus tickets rather. So we would pack a lunch, we'd all go to, you know, High Park, eat our lunch there, woohoo, and then come back home on the bus, and that was a big outing for us. And the kids really enjoyed it, because they got to, to leave the area and go see new things. So I'm on the bus, getting ready to get on the bus at the Kiel station, and there's this guy watching, um, kind of, you know, like this. He's waiting for the bus, too. Now, um, we're all wired differently, but I know for me, for a lot of reasons that are nobody's business, um, I can easily feel judged. Uh, so when this man is like this, I'm kind of thinking, oh, what do we, and what the kids were, were being like silly and ridiculous, doing crazy things. And I'm trying to get them to settle down so that we'll be allowed on the bus, be allowed to ride the bus, be able to get off in Weston. So I'm like, guys, guys, and I'm trying to. So, um, so we get on the bus, and um, this man gets on after us, and he leans down into my face. If you've ever had someone tell you something, and they make the point of like, leaning right into your face like inches. You know, they talk about um, like uncomfortable space, like this, this is a safe space, this is not. So this man leans right down into my face and I'm kind of, okay, here we go. And what he said was, I don't know your relationship to those kids, but it's obvious that you really care for them. And then he just walked up in the bus and took a seat. And right like that, a voice in my head, I hear Matthew 5.16. Now, I'm a PK. Don't judge me. I don't have a ton of scripture memorized. But when I went home and looked up Matthew 5.16, it's the famous verse, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I understood it as... God giving me what I could say the next time that happened. I wanted to say something to that man when he said, it's obvious you really care about these kids. But I was so dumbstruck because I was expecting 
to be um, kind of, you know, not whacked, but I was to be judged or, you know, something like that. And in fact, he was kind of commending what was going on in our group. And it was just so touching to me that I've always, like, that God would give me that verse. And it's one that, it was one of my dad's favorites. And I think that um, I only got one verse, but it's a really great verse. And so I'm not going to be greedy and ask for more. Thank you for listening.